Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Morning Java. It is Monday and that means it's, well, Chris Carter's here and I'm filling in for Dale Lolly, who's on vacation. We are always sponsored by Get-Go Cafe and Market. Chris, why don't you tell everyone that's out there watching or listening why they should be going to Get-Go? Get-Go is amazing right now. They've got the fresh food. They've got the curbside delivery. They're clean. They're, they're quick. They're easy. And they're working with the, cust- with the customers to make it easy. If you need food and you're tired of having to go through all the shovels of the problems that have been going on with COVID-19, Get-Go is, is an easy option. I've used them several times. They've bailed me out when I, did, when I realized I didn't have enough food to make dinner or I, you know, places were closed. I was like, well, if Get-Go is open... Let me get some fresh food, get something in me, and it's good too. So definitely check out Get Go, y'all. It's a it's a great service, and we're 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 proud that they're one of our sponsors. Absolutely, and it's going to be a football Monday as it normally is. Let's start off with Bud Dupree. The biggest mm-hmm. news that came out of Pittsburgh Steelers camp, if you want to call it that, not training camp, but their organization, is that Bud Dupree filed a grievance about his position label as it pertains to the franchise tag now Bud Dupree has already signed his franchise tag tender he was locked in at just over 15 million dollars for this year guaranteed money and that was labeled as a linebacker now as people that know the Steelers system is a 3-4 and that outside linebacker is a linebacker Bud Dupree and so is Shaq um uh, the the well who's the linebacker down in uh Tampa Bay Shaq Barrett that's his name Shaq Barrett yeah yeah He's doing it. Matthew Judon of the Ravens also did this. They're basically saying, well, we're kind of more of a defensive end than we are a linebacker. And the reason why they're doing this is money. They can get an extra $2 million based on that. Now, Shaq Barrett down in Tampa is at the same point of this process as Dupree, where they filed the grievance. Nothing has been resolved. Matthew Judon and the Ravens came to deals. I think it was $16.8 million, So they found a middle ground, and now they're done for that year. When you first heard this news, Chris, what was your reaction? It made perfect sense. Uh, we've seen this battle across the NFL with a few more instances. Uh, for example, uh, Cam Hayward couldn't make the Pro Bowl or make All-Pro because he was listed as a defensive end when he really he was just an interior defensive lineman, which is technically classified as a defensive tackle. So the Steelers switched him over to be a defensive tackle, and now he's been getting more national recognition because defensive ends in a lot of systems, they're the J.J. Watts, the, the Khalil Max, the guys that they don't really drop back in coverage but, um, but you know, they're, they're pure pass rushers. They line up on the edge, they go get the quarterback, they, and they seal the edge against the run. And, and that, the thing is, is that there are so many of those premier edge rushers that are classified as defensive ends that 
their salaries are through the roof because they're edge rushers and edge rushing is, you know, arguably the biggest skill that you need on a defense uh, to be, to be successful. And when, when, uh, when Bud Dupree looks at his situation, he's like, look, you know, yeah, there might be a couple occasions where he drops back into coverage, but primarily he's there to rush the passer and, and stuff the run. And so his, his argument is like, look, uh, I, I, I deserve to be this classification. And, you know, I think it's an interesting point in the history of the NFL as far as constructing rosters, because when it comes to draft talk, Jeff, like when we're looking at, we're looking at talent, you know, for, for who's coming into the NFL, we rarely talk about OLB and, de- and defensive end anymore. We say edge. It's, a, it's yeah. a specific classification. And I think that the NFL may serve itself well to just say, you know what, that's what we're going with. Because we, because when you look at this outside linebacker versus defensive end, I mean, the traditional OLBs of the past, like Jack Cam, are few and far between when it comes to those cover linebackers that are specifically lining up on the outside. Um, but you, you know, you're more prominent to get a TJ Watt, to get to get a Bud Dupree, a guy that technically is listed as an outside linebacker, but the, their job primarily is to rush the passer, and on occasion they'll switch it up to confuse people by dropping back into coverage. But you know, that's a that's a rarity in today's game. So I, I totally get Bud's point is that hey, I'm of this class, not of this class. And I, I have no problem with him looking for the money that he's trying to get and the grievance that he's filed. Um, I'm interested to see how the NFL interprets this and how this will impact how rosters are created, not just created, but how salary caps are formed and how this impacts franchise tags. Because if they, if they create that classification of, an, of a pure edge and, and get rid of necessarily you're an outside linebacker or defensive end, what does that do for teams in these negotiation points with players in the near future? Well, not only that, they just wrapped up their CBA. You would think that this would have been addressed in the CBA in regards to looking at the past, these grievances that have already taken place and saying, let's eliminate this. You know, just because a defense plays a 3-4 compared to a 4-3, whether it's Cam Hayward as a defensive end when he's really an interior defensive lineman, like you mentioned, I don't know. But here's the thing that I want to ask you about is that the readers of our site and even on social media, they've been ripping Dupree to pieces over this thing, calling him greedy, the guy has a chance to make an extra $2 million and he's running on a one-year contract. Personally, I don't blame him for trying to get as much money as he can. Like you just eloquently said, he probably deserves to be categorized as a pass rusher and not as a linebacker. You don't think this is a money grab. I mean, it is technically, but ultimately like, he deserves his $2 million if, if that's what they deem that's it's right. Don't you agree? I, I completely agree. I mean, people look at NFL players because they're millionaires. Some, some of them are millionaires because a lot of them aren't. They're, they're the practice squad guys, the guys that make league minimum. Uh, but, you know, the people like Bud Dupree that, that are on contracts for millions of dollars, they say, man, what does he need? You know, he's fine. He's, he's, he'll, he'll make more money now than I'll ever in my entire life. Um, but you look, at, you look at Bud Dupree and, like, he's just an employee just like anybody else. Imagine if you were at your job and you were an engineer and there was a specific class of engineers that you qualified for and that you did the work for, but then you were classified as a different type. And that made you get a lower type of pay. You'd be upset about that, right? It's, it's, a, it's a worker thing. It's a, it's a labor issue. And, uh, you know, I look at Bud Debris. I think he has a good point. I have no problem with him trying to get more money. It's not like he's trying to fleece anybody. He's like, look, I do this classification of skill. I deserve that kind of pay for this franchise tag deal. And, and for anyone that thinks like, oh, well, you know, he's got a future. But you know what? This is Bud Dupree, the same man who saw his brother Ryan Chazier go down and never, and, and, and you know, he had he never played football again. He 
almost we weren't sure if he was ever going to walk again. You you see injuries like that in the in the NFL, and you think I don't need to get my money right now as fast as I can and make sure that not only that I'm secure, but my, my, the future of my family's secure. You get yours, man. And I have no problem with Bud Dupree stance. I think I get it. Fans have this, this reaction a lot that the players make too much money, but you know what people need to realize when they make more money, when the players make more money, you know, off of the salary cap, that money doesn't come out of your pocket. It comes out the owner's pockets. It's, it's that, that money that they're getting, it wouldn't be going to the taxpayers. It would be sitting right in the owner's pockets and they would, they would, they, they'd be able to do with it more if they want what they want. I, I think that Bud Dupree's fine and what he's asking for. I think when players fight for more money and more slices of the pie, considering that they are the entertainment, they're the reason we go to watch, not the owners, not the, not the staff behind the scenes. We're, we're going to watch these supreme talents play. They drive the league. I think they have every right to, to ask for that. All right, Chris. So here we have Monday. Today, NFL and the NFLPA are supposed to meet. This They haven't been meeting that often, but they've been definitely throwing proposals back and forth, whether it's about testing, whether it's about the preseason, whether it's about finances. You know, the NFL said that they wanted 35% of players' 2020 salaries to go into escrow. All this stuff is going back and forth. When we're talking about these negotiations, because these are paramount, as we're already in the, almost in the middle of July and training camps are supposed to start in about two weeks, they need to get this stuff settled. Now, if they don't get it settled, the NFL, just like the Major League Baseball did, they could just say, look, we can't come to terms. You got to go to work. And if the NFLPA wants to file a grievance, they can certainly go through that process. Major League Baseball didn't, shockingly. I don't think the NFL wants that to get to that point, though. So what is the biggest concern that you have or the biggest issue you see in these negotiations between the players and the owners? There's two things. First thing, safety concerns, making sure that everyone feels comfortable with COVID and how how the NFL is at least – what the, what the efforts are to protect the players. I think the players, there are, there are a lot of players that are really concerned about it, not just for themselves, but for their families and for how this is going to, going to work. The NFL is not going to be able to do bubble cities. So, um, you, you know, this is going to be, this is going to be a, a huge experiment. And, uh, you know, they, these, these guys feel like they're the subjects that are going to be at, at risk. So a lot of them feel that they want protection, but two, and arguably the biggest thing is uh, who's going to offset the costs or the loss of, the, the loss of, uh, of of funds and revenue from la- the lack of fans in the stands. Even if we do get like fourteen thousand people in the stands, at, you know, at, at every stadium, even if that's it, you're still losing lots of money there. And the owners are looking like, how how are we going to offset that cost? Now we saw that the proposal that was made public from the NFL to the NFLPA was to put thirty five percent of their 2020 salaries in escrow, which means they wouldn't necessarily lose it for the long term, but it would come out of their pay this year and it'd be doled out to them over time. NFL players thought that was a joke. They, and uh, I understand it. They just went through this whole CBA process where basically they bent over backwards. They gave the owners everything they wanted. You got the extra games, you got the extra playoff games, you got the regular season games coming up. Um, you know, they gave you what you wanted. So it's like, now that we've given you everything you wanted, you should come back and you still want to take more. I, I get the player's stance on this, and it, it seemed like it was an emphatic no of laughter from players. Now, some of them said, like, Devin Bush called it a pay cut. That's not technically accurate, but I think that's besides the point, Jeff. They know, like, listen, we're doing all this for you. When, when, the, when the league makes more money, our salaries don't go up. Now, the salary cap goes up, and guys down the line will make more money. But, you know, when, you know, when, when, uh, when, when, when T.J. Watt 
make you know you know has has 13 14 sacks he doesn't get a boost in his rookie salary that year he has to wait till his next contract to come up and the players are probably like look we are set to make this the money that we agreed to right now and we want what we're owed go somewhere else and find the money or again you're the billionaire owners Make it work amongst, amongst yourselves. You 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 can survive. And Drew Rosenhaus, the agent that the, the the biggest the biggest agent in football right now, he brought up there are several mechanisms that the NFL knows over the next five years with the extra playoff games this year and the extra regular season games and playoff games in the future. There's about to be a boom in revenue once things get back to normal in this country, whether that's this year or next year or the year after that. And the NFL could spend more money now to keep things normal and maintain the salary cap and over the next couple seasons and then when by the time things are normal and they have those more games the revenue will be so overwhelmingly you know over over the budget that they've normally had that it will balance it out it'll pay them back in more and then they'll be able to expand the salary cap the way that they were planning to anyways I, I think that this is I think this is the owners trying to present this situation of listen, there's no other way to do this. You just got to take this money hit. And the players are like, we felt we've fallen for this for like 40 years. We're done. And I thought that the, the rebuttal, or not, not the rebuttal, but the counter proposal by the NFLPA was actually legitimate. They said, let's stretch out the losses from 2020 to I think 2033, a little over 10 years, stretch it out, use those future earnings, which is something that the league has talked about already. The players also proposed to have a COVID-19 stipend in case games are cut meaning let's say we start the season, something happens, and all of a sudden they say we got to can it. And if that happens, then they would say, well, let's have guaranteed money for us, the players, in case that does happen. Because like you said, for every millionaire that's making million dollars a season, there's another one that's making the bare minimum and is having a three to four year lifespan in terms of his NFL contract. I think that ultimately, let's not overlook the preseason. Um, the fact that the NFLPA does not want any preseason games and yet the owners want to, the coaches, I guarantee are like, we need something to evaluate yeah. some of these players. Even if it's just two games, we need something. Now Dale Lolly has gone on record by saying he guarantees two preseason games because he thinks that the players never want to play preseason games and that they'll eventually say, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll give you two preseason games, but we got to get something. This is a negotiation. How do you see it playing out? I agree that the two preseason games are going to happen. I think that the NFL, one, I think one selling point that they'll get across to the players is like, look, if you care about safety and you want to make sure that we do this right and that the season doesn't stop, we need these games as test models. We need to be able to say, okay, not only are we having players in the field, but maybe we even have some, from some fans in the stands just to be able to feel out what the mistakes are so that we have this time. And again, what the NFL has proposed is to have the second and third weeks of preseason football, which means the you'd have more time in training camp with the first week on. And after the last game in the third week, you'd have an extra week since the fourth game is gone to say, to look at everything across the board from Pittsburgh to Los Angeles and say, all right, what did we do right? What did we do wrong? The, the, we cannot afford week one to be a, uh, to be to be a mistake or to be to be a flop. We have to make sure this is right, and this would give them more time to make sure it's safe. I think that that's a really good selling point that the NFL can and will use in these negotiations, and that they're going to get their preseason games. I mean, I, I, again, I think that anything that pertains to negotiations is going to be worked out by the NFL, particularly because the NFLPA hasn't been that strong of a union. It's arguably the weakest union in, in, in the four professional sports. But on top of that, 
I think that they're a lot closer to understanding, like, look, we just want X, Y, and Z right here. And the owners know that, hey, if we can get football in the back in the fall, it's going to it's it's going to boom. It's going to be it's going to you know I think the ratings are going to skyrocket even more than what they normally are because people are hungry for sports. They want something. So I think they're gonna they're they're gonna, we're gonna have the preseason if as long as COVID stays in check and you know there's not pressure to say hey let's shut everything down for a little longer. Uh, but um, I, I think that if if all goes in in a in a predictable path and this has been anything but a predictable year, but I think that there's a shot that we could have preseason football and then eventually regular season football with good checks and balances to make sure the players are safe. All right, Chris. Last topic here is the fact that we both assume that there will be football in 2020. There's a lot of people out there that are skeptical that say there's no way it's going to happen. To me, it's always been not will they play games, but will there be fans at those games? That's been the ultimate question, and that's something that's still up in the air that's going to be decided when it gets closer to that time. However, I think we can all agree that the game is going to look different in 2020, whether it's empty stadiums, whether it's seeing the top eight rows tarped with advertisements on them to try to make a few extra bucks by the league. It's going to look different. From a football perspective, so we're leaving out coronavirus concerns that sounds ludicrous but trust me let's just run with this from a football standpoint outside of injury outside of coronavirus positive cases is there anything that concerns you about the way the game is going to be played what it's going to look like at at all in 2020 because it's going to look really different I think that there's going to be I think there's going to be some certain challenges with with the question of home field advantage obviously um, I'm going to question if the NFL is going to put a moratorium on on artificial fan noise because if we don't have fans in the stands and the home team's like, well, wait a second, can we just pump crowd noise into the stadium to give it that atmosphere because we do deserve to have some sort of home field advantage? I wonder if that'll become a negotiation tactic. But my biggest concerns are the energy of the broadcast. I think the players will be fine. I think that there will be a lack of silent counts. But, well, it, maybe. Because here's the one thing I'll say about this, the lesser crowd. Like, say, you know, the number that we keep hearing is 14,000 or even 7,000 people, uh, you know, in the stands. It can still get very loud with, with that amount of people. I've been in Heinz Field where for high school games and high school championships where – it's not even 5,000 people in stands, but when you're on the field, you still can't hear because the, the, pe- the people that are there are still loud. And if these are NFL fans and they're there and they're in, in the moment and, and, they're be, and they're still finding a way to be loud, um, it will still have an impact on the game. Now, granted, it won't be nearly like, you know, renegade in full, in full force or anything like that. But it will have an impact to say, like, you know, on the field, it may be like, okay, well, we still need to use the sound accounts. We still need to use these forms of communication. But I do think this NFL is going to have to do a lot better, or at least the players and the coaches are going to have to do a lot better about cover, covering up their own calls and masking things because you might be able to pick up on a few more things now as an opposing defense or an opposing offense, you know, like, you know, bringing up cadences and bringing up certain calls. And when you hear certain switches, um, you know, when, when, there's, when there's less – that uh, when there's less sensory things around you, when there's less noise, your other senses kick in more, and they're starting, and then you see more, you feel more, you 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 hear more uh, around you. So I think that there's going to be a lot of that that might tilt the scales of how communication works. Um, but the, other than that, I think the broadcast value is important. I really hope that you know there was the rumor that some networks were considering making fake crowd noise. 
I think that they need to, that there's going to be announcers that need to be able to balance the excitement of the game, but without the crowd noise, which is not easy. Yeah. It's, it's just from a, this is where I, obviously I look at it and say, other than like silent counts and things of that nature, it's not going to look that different. You might just see empty seats, whether it's right. no fans or partial capacity. And so when I think about it, like, well, it's not going to look that different. It's going to look like football. You know, you might see, like you said, different cadences. The, the sidelines might be a lot more spread open, meaning they might allow them to move down like 20 to 20 and the 20 yards to 20 yard to allow them to have some spacing so that they don't have players right on top of one another. Um, you might see people on the sideline wearing uh, face coverings and stuff like that. That's going to look different. But like you said, from a broadcast perspective, this could be really strange because I think about, you know, you think about some of the most popular duos in terms of broadcasting. Everyone thinks of who? Jim Nance and Tony Romo. Tony Romo is a guy that's predicting stuff. He's feeding off the crowd. There is no crowd. It was Fox that said that they're thinking about like using crowd noises on the broadcast. So whether the teams pump in crowd noise, they're talking about, I think that's going to look really strange. I can only say from a visual perspective, I have watched several golf tournaments with no fans and it is different. It is very different. I saw a player get a hole in one and it was just silence. <laughs> you know, normally it's high fives and a loud roar and you're pumped. I mean, this is that there's golfers that play their whole lives and never get a hole in one. It's going to look different. You know, you think about a huge cut touchdown catch or an interception or a sack and it's just nothing. <laughs> it's just silent other than players hooping the hauling. It's going to look different, but you think that the game itself will be pretty much status quo though, right? I think the game will be will be very much similar. There will, I think, again, I think there will be some points where teams are picking up on a little of, on a few more of the communication points. But outside of that, I think the game will still very much be the same. Um, you know, the, the the biggest aspect I think will 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 miss is the the crowd pumping and the energy of that, like you know, when feeling the momentum of the game. And that is, you know, as as much as that doesn't seem like it matters in the actual like stats and and the production of the game when it comes to the fan enjoyment of it from home you know part of what made Troy Polamalu's pick six so amazing was the crowd at Heinz Field just you know in the AFC championship game when he does this to Baltimore and he's returning and you just feel the energy of the crowd as he, and he as he picks it off and then he takes it into the end zone you know imagine that without that noise you know and, yeah. and the, what what would that sound like to 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 you as a as a fan watching it from home and that's what's going to be the big determinant because again we're talking about if the nfl is losing revenue from fans not being there they're going to need much more much higher ratings uh you know to, to boost and say hey you know advertisers guess what we're doing really great now y'all need to kick in a little bit more um and, and for the advertisers to be like well we can't lose out on this because there's millions of more people even watching and they're all they're already the number one ticket in the country when it comes to entertainment um I mean, I agree. I agree. I don't think the play is necessarily going to be impacted as much. It's going to be a production. And I really hope that nobody goes for the fake crowd noise as part of the broadcast. If stadiums do it, I think that's a different story. But when you do it as a broadcast, it comes off like a laugh track. I think that's going to be a huge thing.